On today's episode, are children the future? We try to unionize, and what's so essential about oils anyways? All that and more coming up. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Our Science. I'm your host Alan Collier and I'm joined today by Toby Mankus. Ahoy! And Katie Ellsworth. You remembered my name! This is our 50th episode. Holy smokes! Yeah, congratulations to everyone, mostly me. Everyone, mostly I, uh, me. Is it like, <laughs> would that be like the half centennial or? I have no idea. Also, I'd just like to get on the record. Sorry, Alan. Um, I looked it up and the, it's the Golden Jubilee is, is what this podcast is for number 50. Uh, our first article today comes from the University of Arizona. Why climate change is driving some to skip having kids. This is I don't I don't think we've asked Toby about this. Yeah, uh, I was, Toby, I was thinking about that when we were reading this. I was like, you know what? I don't know what Toby's stance is on this. Toby, I'm I'm pro climate change. If that's uh... <laughs> no 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 no. <laughs> How do you feel about children? Um, I I like kids, and I would like to one day have kids. All right. Toby here with the with the bringing a different perspective for once. Wait, wait, wait. Toby, do you mean your own kids, or are you just gonna like? Well, I've already kids? got I've already got my like a collection, <laughs> yeah. but it would be nice to have some that are actually like carry my genetic material. So this is no, that's it's interesting because I generally we're anti kid on the podcast. Um, Kyle, I think, is kind of record of saying she likes kids, but she's never gonna have them. I don't actually think Ian's against them, but no, I am staunchly child free. David and I are decidedly never having children. I feel my quality of life would be much better if I never have kids, but I still think I'd like to have kids at some point. That being said, some of my thoughts on kids will come into this article. All right. I look forward to it. Let's talk about the article because this is a super straightforward study. It sure like, is. It, this is. They interviewed 24 people. They started by analyzing online comments to show that there was a growing trend of people who are worried about having kids due to climate change concerns. Then they sought out adults aged 18 to 35 and interviewed them about those concerns. And that's it. That's that's the study. And then they called it a day, wrote a paper, and said we're done. And honestly, that's the best way to do it. Like, this is informative, it's useful, and it's like... I'm, I'm sure it's more complicated than it sounds, but it's super straightforward to, like, explain. So it's great. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, why? how does this, you know, affect your thinking? What are you thinking about this? And like, here's some three major things that people were... Considering it's like, huh, that's interesting. Okay, then. Yeah, it's, it's well written, too. Like, this is, they just straight up say, here are the three major things. I love a good quantitative paper. I mean, qualitative, not what I just said. Ignore me. Hello. <laughs> I hate that those words are like so. Why? I meant to say is that I really like some good qualitative data analysis, finding those themes up in there and being like, hello, this is the information that we have found. Yeah, so I appreciate the fuck out of this paper. It's worth noting that there's only 24 people to interview. That's a low sample size. For. For qualitative coding like this, though, it's it's reasonable because if you're just trying to like parse themes out of it, I mean, I don't know. When you're interviewing, like, anytime you're using like people and you want to like interview them and get in depth data from like an individual person, you're just not going to have a huge sample size. It's just sort of the nature of how it works. It's it's worth saying this is 24 people out of like billions, but it's still fine. We weren't able to get access to the original journal publication. Like, I'd be interested in seeing like kind of further population info like what population like what's the percentage of the population that take climate change thoughts into child 
hood decisions and things like that. Like, it would be interesting to see also, like, out of how many of the comments, just, like, to get a, a perspective, I guess, on how representative these thoughts are. Yeah, because that, that though, is not what the purpose of this study was, No, it right? wasn't. I, no, no, no. I'm, and that's what I'm knocking. I'm just curious. I want to know more. Yeah, so for this for this particular study, let's let's go over the three main things they found out. One was overconsumption. People were worried that having kids is going to lead to an increased carbon footprint. Uh, more resources have to be used for these children who eventually turn to adults, most of them. <laughs> That's number one. Number two is overpopulation, which ties really closely to overconsumption. Because like, I think the only pe- reason people are concerned about overpopulation is because of overconsumption. Yes, but I think it was really interesting that they specified in this that the overpopulation was specifically about having more than two kids because two kids is replacing yourselves in the population and that's that's where you stop so i, I get why they separated overconsumption and overpopulation but they're very similar they're very linked and then three i think is is then the other big one is an uncertain future where they're worried that they're gonna these kids are gonna be growing up and, and living their lives in a a much harsher situation than what we had when we were growing up, because there's this doom of, like, climate change going to continue unchecked. What type of life am I going to be giving my children by having them grow up in a climate change future? Yeah, and honestly, that was that was a really big thing for me when I was still kind of on the fence about kids, is the, the uncertain future thing. I genuinely felt for a while that it would be kind of, like, irresponsible to bring kids into a world that I was not like happy with or like thought that things were not going in a good direction so i don't know i i was surprised that that wasn't the main thing they they found the main thing based on the people they interviewed was the overconsumption people worry about that over oh, i'm gonna have more kids they're gonna consume more and that's gonna hurt the environment more i would have thought it was the other way around i would have thought that the uncertain future was the biggest attractor and then also i'm making the problem worse by having these kids but it it wasn't it wasn't and i think the really interesting thing was that the doom perspective was balanced by the expressions of hope um so a lot of people felt that kids represented a better and brighter future and i mean yes but i also really liked there was the one line on here that was like that's putting a lot of pressure on small children (laughs) i was like yeah yeah it is (laughs) Some of this is has this has always been the case to a certain extent. There's always been concerns about like what type of future are my children inheriting. There's always been concerns about what you like literally just said about having putting pressure on children there the brighter future. And that's just I don't know. I think that's just kind of the way it's always. Been. I think so. Like even as a kid, like people are like, oh, and you're the next generation who will like you know solve this problem, and then we didn't. But I. I think this is every generation. Like, I don't think this is unique to our generation. I don't think our generation is the first to think, oh, you know, oh no, what type of future are my children inheriting? What type of, you know, how much pressure am I putting on them? Every generation has always said the next generation will solve things. And they never do. Then they hand it to the next generation. That's just how life works. It is. And I think the thing is now that it's becoming more and more of a pressure, though, because climate change is so directly linked to overpopulation and overconsumption. So I feel like the three things that they found in this study are pretty intrinsically interlinked. Because we've already addressed the fact that the overpopulation, overconsumption issue, those are pretty much the same on some level. I think the the uncertain future ties directly into that, though. Yeah, yeah. The, these In this particular situation with our generation, these things are all linked. Where before they weren't, like having kids didn't make the problem worse. If you're worried about like wars 
or like the Great Depression or something, you weren't necessarily worried that your kid was going to make the problem worse. Where now, that's exactly what yeah, that's the exact cause. Yeah, and I mean, and yeah, I, uh, like birth rates are falling in like Western um, countries and are like not at a sustainable kind of level. It's like below like the replacement level for just like population growth. But every every time I've heard this be brought up, like the fact that the the birth rates are pretty low for our generation. I've never heard it, well, rarely have I heard it framed from an environmental point of view. I've always heard it framed from an economic point of view. We just don't have the money or the resources to be raising kids right, right now. Right, yeah. And like, I, I, no, I don't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can barely keep myself alive. Like, children as well, no. Like, it, so I, I'm, I, I think they're right with this because, I mean, it's interviews. I can't tell those people that they interview that their opinions are wrong. I think this is a, the environmental concerns are relevant and prominent, but I also think a huge part of the lack of childbirth right now is economic issues i do think it would be really interesting to see a similar study done that also asked people about the economic side of things to see how many people are actually concerned about both sides of it or if the people who are more concerned about climate change don't really consider the economic side of it i i think that could be really an interesting future direction oh i i'm sure that study's been done like if uh, this study's been done, I'm sure the economic study's been done. I'm sure the economic study's been done. I'm saying that I want I want to see the the linked study, the both. Yo, yeah, you want to combine. I want to combine them. Yeah, them. I want to cool. see the overlap. I want to see if the people who are concerned about the climate change and the overconsumption are also personally concerned about having the ability to support children. I hmm. I think that would be interesting yeah. to see if there was overlap there. The other thing I want to mention about this is at the very bottom they say uh, it's still a bit taboo to talk about this. Which it, it very much is like, especially oh, holy if, hell if yes. you, especially if you know people who have a lot of kids, you cannot come up to them and say, "Boy, your children sure are killing the world." Yeah. <laughs> like, see those two, see your two youngest children. I wish they didn't exist. That's not something you go up to someone and say. Yeah. So it's it's not it's. It's also it's also just taboo in general to talk about not wanting to have kids. I mean, that's been improving a little bit, but. Like, as someone who decided that they don't want to have children, I still vividly remember the first time that I brought that up in front of my parents, my mom cried. Like. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I I think I want to say it's becoming less so now. It is. I feel like it's, I feel like it's becoming, a, I don't know about like specifically with parents, but it's like more popular, I think, just in general society, the idea of not having kids. Because I think there's some really good excuses you can say. I'm poor and the world's dying. And everyone's like, yeah, can't argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's whole different pressure on women who say that they don't want to have kids versus men because men not wanting to have kids is just like, yeah, okay. Uh, ki- women not having kids is just like, but motherhood is your whole purpose. And it's like, um, yeah, no. I mean, I'll take your word for that because I don't, I assume that's true. It's yeah. I, my, my personal experiences cannot speak to that. Yeah. Cause you are a, a man. Yeah, you can't tell, but uh, Toby and I are high-fiving right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, fantastic. I hate you both. Um, yeah, relatable. No, but I, 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 think it's, I think it's something that is starting to become less taboo. I hope it's something that's starting to become less taboo because, like, it's it's something worth talking about. Like, I, I personally, the uncertain future thing, I think is, I, I, that, that doesn't concern me at all, honestly. Me neither, to be honest, yeah. Every future's been uncertain. It's like, yeah, okay. It's it's the overpopulation stuff for me. Yeah. But then Katie said that it really that was one of the bigger things for her, so But like that's that's all the, all of this is to say that this is like fully my personal opinion, right? And like so I totally respect other people who are 
who are wanting to have children and who feel like they would like I know so many people who will make absolutely wonderful parents and I fully support them in in their decision to eventually procreate um it's just not for me uh so I'm, i moved last weekend wow it's only been a week okay so i'm in a, I'm in a different place now than i was obviously that's how moving works let me tell you the adventures of u-hauls oh yes yeah, I think Kitty knows yes. some of. I know all of, of it because you came. We played for the king immediately yeah, after know. it happened. Yeah, that's true. Okay, because I've told this to other people and I've left up various bits because it ends up just being a novel. Um, okay, so so the old place that I lived, right down the street, there was a U-Haul depot. Here's the fun fact about U-Haul: they don't have like buildings. You can't just be a U-Haul. If you want to be a U-Haul, you have to also be something else. And then just store U-Haul vehicles. It's super weird. So this was a car wash slash U-Haul. <laughs> and it was right down the street. And I'm like, well, that's convenient. I'm just going to get a U-Haul from like the cheapest, smallest thing they can get. Not actually all that expensive. Shout out to U-Haul. And, and then I'll just walk down the street and pick it up. It's going to be super easy. So I walked. I, I go down there like a week before I'm going to do this. And I'm like, can I just rent literally the smallest thing you have? Pickup truck. I don't care. And they're like, Sure. Go home. We got your number. Somebody will call you and let you know if it's available. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking, can't you just tell me if it's available because you're right here and this is your place? Question mark. But I said, okay. Went home. Got a call the next day. Said, yeah, we have this available. Go pick it up from this location. This location being somewhere nowhere close to where I currently live. So it's like a different location than what I want. I'm like, can't I get it at the first location that's right near me? And they're like, nope, nothing's available. Everything's booked. I'm like, oh, fine. So take the move, rent a taxi, rent a taxi, call a taxi, go to location with vehicle, get to the place. It's like a house and kind of has like an automobile repair shop sign up front, but notably no U-Haul sign, no U-Haul trucks and nobody working there. <laughs> so the taxi just draws me off at this house with nothing to suggest there's a U-Haul here. And no one working. So I call the place, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no one's there now, but there's a key in the lockbox. Just get it and grab the van. I'm like, there's no van. Guys, there's nothing here. And they're like, oh, I guess the other person hasn't returned it. And, and like, are they ever going to return it? Am I just going to be here all night waiting for this mythical truck? So I call you all up and be like, is there anything else in the city that I, is available now that I can get? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's one van available at this other location. The other location being the one I wanted to go to in the first no. place maddening maddening so i call another cab not cheap cabs no although very nice very nice drivers though gotta say and that's surprisingly uh, on time call another cab ready to go right back to where i started as i'm waiting for that cab the u-haul shows up oh my god <laughs> the person shows up with the van and i'm like do i cancel the cab now and just take the one that's here I decided not, so I'm I'm at I'm at a place with a U-Haul. The person even said like, "Oh, are you waiting for this?" And, and like, was going to hand me the keys, and I'm like, "I kind of am, but I'm also kind of not." So just forget it. So I'm abandoning that U-Haul, getting a taxi back to where I originally was to grab that U-Haul at the place I originally wanted it when it was just totally it was just sitting there, keys ready to go. And then I start my move, and from then on, it's fairly straightforward. Other than I'm like an hour and a half late to everything that I was planning on doing. Plus, you used two cab rides of. Oh yeah, it was like ninety bucks. 
Yeah, it was so stupid. To U-Haul's credit, I think the big mistake was that the person didn't return it on time. And it's weird to me that there's no... I mean, when I was renting mine, I didn't know when I was supposed to return it. So I just returned it whenever I felt like. But that, other than that, the online, like, renting it online with... All I had to do was send, like, pictures of the, my driver's license in the van, and I think it was really smooth. So I'm not, like, blaming U-Haul or anything. But man, was it weird. I, Such a yeah. weird system. I've, I've moved a number of times using U-Haul, and it's very similar to, like... Yeah, the online system works great, but it's like the individual kind of like franchisees are like just so hit and miss for like... Yeah. It's so... It's such a bizarre system. Like, they're a big company. This isn't like some local... This is a big okay, but international to be fair, company. It makes sense because that's the only way that you can possibly stock U-Haul vans in so many different places and also offer the option of not having to return the van from whence you came if you're moving like across country. Well, the... The, the major problem was they said the U-Haul was going to be available at 4.30 and it wasn't. Yeah, that's... That right. was my only major concern was like, this is supposed to be here. I assume the person running before me was told that they have to have it back by 4. Yeah, so blame the person, not the company. And I, I kind of am. I'm kind of blaming the person being like, hmm, couldn't you just return it on time? But anyway, so that was my, honestly, like a sitcom episode. Journey of moving, which I hate moving. Despise it. I don't like moving living locations. I don't like moving my body in general. Just... Our second article today comes from the Academic Times. Stronger unions could help fight income inequality. Uh, so we're going to talk about unions and economics because Katie's here and Katie only gets the economic articles. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But this is... Does this literally oh, only happen when I'm on the podcast? I, I can't remember the last time we had an economic paper where you weren't Ugh. on the podcast. We don't get that many, but they're always but they're for me. always for me. But this is very this isn't like some high flute and white collar crime stock market thing. This is very this is much more relatable than most of the economic stuff we get. Yes, it is. So the study was basically just a giant analysis of they call it wage share, and I wish they didn't. Yeah, please explain that because it didn't be obvious to me at the very beginning. I was like, yeah, they don't they don't explain wage share. So. Uh, my my eventual interpretation of it was that they're, they're it's not like it's like the percentage of the GDP of a country or wherever that is given to what part of the workforce, right? But but to like labor. Well, yeah, because it's like what percentage of the wage of of the what percentage of the GDP increase goes to the laborers versus the fat pigs who sit at the top. They're looking at they're looking at like how the incomes are distributed across the country. They're looking between 1997 and 2007 in 14, I believe 14, as they call them, advanced economies. Yeah, they also don't ever define that. No, <laughs> it's 14 high income countries, including Australia, France, Germany, Japan, the UK, the US, and other countries that don't matter apparently. Possibly Canada. Probably. Who knows? Who knows? Probably Canada. Um. But, like, developed nations, whatever you, whatever term you want to use, I don't know, those type of countries. Not Canada. I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the actual paper. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was really Developed, good industrialized, advanced, not Canada. <laughs> Moving on from that, the general, the general prior consensus, like, the, the history of research in this area has said that rising levels of technology just inevitably lead to income inequality. And there's not much you can do about it. 
That's been the general theory so far. This is saying, well, maybe it's not inevitable. Maybe technology leads to it, leads to income inequality, but it doesn't have to. And they're saying that based on their study, the more, as they call it, union density, the more unions per area, <laughs> the lower... Well, literally, that's what it is, I guess, is another term they don't define. Yeah, I was very confused by the term union density. I was like, does it, is it the number of unions, unions per in general per or? area? Is it unions per job I'm type? actually going to guess that it's the number of people or unions per Per workers, so the the amount of the percentage of the workforce that's in a union is, I'm gonna guess how it's done. Okay, that makes more sense and than what I was thinking. The the more long story short, the more unions, the less wage inequality. That's the theory. It's like there's power in a union, or something. Yes, and we'll we'll get to unions. Um, they here's the thing that was weird to me. They say that union density accounted for 23 percent of the decline in wage share of GDP weird sentence but it basically means like how many unions there were accounted for 23 percent less income inequality so 23 percent is the number they've put on this to define how much it's reducing the inequality but in the very next sentence offshoring to low-wage countries so you know outsourcing your work there's a reason why towels are made in pakistan that is accounting for 44 percent of the wage gap so that seems like it's having way more of an effect than the unions are. Yeah, I was confused by that part of the paper, too. I was like, why why are we making this about unions when it seems like it's more about offshoring? And I think it's because everyone already knew about offshoring, and this is the first time that we're looking at unions. Unions previously weren't thought to have as big a role, but now with this study, we're seeing they have a bigger role than we thought. So it's not that they have the biggest role, is they have a bigger role than we thought oh, they did. Okay, okay. I'm reading between the lines a bit here, mostly because they don't explain things. Yeah, this was not a very well explained thing. Because um, I was also like, just kind of very like out of left field. It's just like, originally, this wasn't even what the study was about. It was about technology. <laughs> and then it's just like, we were looking at it and we were like, oh, yay, hey, look, it doesn't turn out that the technology means shit. It's actually unions. <laughs> the unions are just more like i think that's the way this is being framed is that unions are like the the be all and end all of wage inequality when i don't think it is i think it's just saying unions play a big role in it and a much bigger role than we yes thought. i i right. think the reason that this paper became what it is is because it was we looked at this and found something surprising that we weren't yeah. expecting and it's like not so much that like people's job like robots are replacing people's jobs but that like unions are kind of lose or like could be doing more or could be losing their using losing their strength is that it there's just less of them so that they okay. don't have as much power as they used to part of that is explained away by the great recession of the mid 2000s to yeah um you're going to have to narrow that down uh, 2007 to 2014 i think is what they list much like the first article, this is where we start getting to like personal opinions and talks a bit because the study just the study is just outlined that unions have a bigger role than they thought they did, and then kind of leaving it there. So then it's up to us now to well, not up to us, but now it's our place to expand on that. Unions are complicated things. I just like how like all this work in this in this review article with all these graphs and all like this research, and we're like, well, unions are important. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it boils down to, is that unions are important. 
and like I, I I have known people who are like staunchly anti-union. I I'm not anti-union. I think unions are really really good, but you have to be aware that they're run by people and people suck. Exactly. As someone who's like I've been on both sides. I've been a manager and I've been a union member, and it is like you can have like really poor interactions by union. Like again, like you just said it perfectly. Adam. like unions are made of people, and sometimes those people are suck. Good. Yeah, People are by yeah. far the weakest part of unions. <laughs> like, if you could have, ironically, if you could automate unions, it'd be great. But in principle, like Katie says, it's like, yeah, they're just very... Oh, in, in principle, yeah. you have to have yeah. them. Like, yeah. You have to have them in principle. The other thing with this is that the idea of automation, automation is like been this fearful thing on the horizon for a long time now. It's eventually all the jobs are going to be automated and nobody's going to have to, like nobody's going to be working anymore. All, you're going to lose all your jobs because robots are going to do them. And it's such a weird thing because, yeah, that is definitely a possibility, but also robots can objectively do things faster and better than I can. Yeah. And if I if a robot wants to do my job, I'm kind of okay to let it do my job because I don't really – there's some stuff not, – not my current job, for the record, if anybody's listening to my current job. Hi, I love you. <laughs> but I've had past jobs and I'm like, I so badly wish a robot was doing yeah. this for me. And like we'll see. like hist- History kind of shows that every time you know, technology kind of takes away you know, one specific – job niche like you know others are created um and i know that won't go on forever but like the trick is in theory we have a whole bunch of our jobs automated which is means they're more efficient and they're faster and everything can be cheaper and we can take all those resources we've saved from automating and put them back into the population so people can still be living without having to work these like horrible long hour jobs the trick is that's never gonna happen no no it's so it's this fine thing of like, this should be great, but you know it's not going to yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's why you shouldn't have kids. Yeah. yeah. So you shouldn't have kids. And UBI, which we haven't talked about UBI like at all. Universal basic income is like the theoretical solution. I really like this idea. UBI should be coming in once automation comes in. That's the theory. Is that you have automation and UBI solves that because now you can have a basic income without having to work as much because the robots are doing your job. I am pro UBI. I'm pro UBI. Because and I, I like the idea of like yeah like we can get rid of like welfare we can get rid of like not like we can su- supplant certain social programs with a UBI and it's like oh, okay that sounds kind of cool. Well, and of, of course the, the the issue with UBI I'm I'm pro UBI too, but the issue with it is obviously well where does that money come from? It comes from the billionaires. Eat the rich, eat the rich, eat the rich. Yeah, that's easier said than done. <laughs> eat the rich. It is. You can. I. I totally agree with you. Hey, I'm eat the rich all the way. But you can't just say it and then it happens. I know. There's a lot that has to happen. But also. And so welcome to three people just rambling about the economy. Because sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's because this paper kind of wasn't about unions. Yeah. Well, that was my point. Is that it highlighted that unions were were more important than we thought they were. But it's so much more going on. This is. This strikes me as they were researching something else. They noticed this interesting thing and thought we can get a paper out of this too. And then they wrote that paper, but there's a whole nother paper that they're also writing in the background. Well, that's that the we thing is they literally, they literally say that they were looking at data and information that was used for other people's papers and were like, hey, we found something different. I also really like the part where the guy was just like, people didn't like this. He received backlash when oh. he originally presented these preliminary findings for this paper. Dude, people, people are so passionate about unions on both sides. Yeah, even economists. Like, I don't, I don't get it because I've never, I've never had to really deal with them. 
but they're they're so passionate on both sides of the union argument. It's wild. Our third article today also comes from the Academic Times. Scientists find new evidence linking essential oils to seizures. Okay, we gotta talk about what essential oils are because boy has that term been just totally My favorite destroyed. thing is when people think that essential oils are good for you because they're essential and they yes. must be essential yes. to life. And you're like, oh no, baby. I don't, I don't, I know, I know why they're called essential oils. I don't know who first came up with that term because Chemists. it's either, a, it's either, okay, then it's a terrible coincidence or it's amazing marketing. No, it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> terrible coincidence because it's, it's, it's an oil made of the essence of something. It's distilling the essential components of a plant product usually. And that's why it's called an essential oil is it's, it's essential because it is made of essence not essential because it's super important. Yeah, I guess like volatile organic compounds don't have the same VOCs. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, volatile. Because you don't want the word volatile, but you do like the word essential. And like as, essential oil is basically just like squeezing a ton of plants to get like to liquefy the basic components of that plant. I mean, it's it's chemical distillation, but sure. Yeah, it's not, yeah, okay. It's not literally squeezing, but yeah. I mean, part of the step, uh, one of the steps is yes, smash plant. Yeah, but it's not like we're just gonna take a pound of dandelions, throw them in like a juicer. Yeah. Well, they did, they said that like it's a ton of plants that go in to make it like a tiny bottle of essential oils. I was surprised by how like the plant to oil ratio is is not good if you're a plant. No, it's because the it's it's a very small essence of the plant, right? Um. Yeah, you have to get all the water and the physical matter out. And then, yeah, we actually got to do this in one of my chemistry classes. It was a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Distilled the essential oil from pine needles. Um, and all of all of this stuff, oil, natural oils, essential. Get the gig what the plant is made out of. This is the stuff that makes the new age hippie groups lose their goddamn oh, Yeah, it makes them just instantly orgasm. And, and seizure, apparently. And seizure. <laughs> We don't want people having seizures, but if we had, to, if a certain amount of people have to get seizures, <laughs> I would like them to be the people who are believing in essential oils. The problem is, is that people who tout the the ones who tout essential oils as being cure all magical elixirs, and it's if you want to use some like essential oils because you like the smell and it's relaxing, that's great. But just like let's not imbue them with uh, any medicinal property. But also, you know what? No, it's not great because don't do it with eucalyptus or camphor oil, right. apparently, because <laughs> you're going to have a seizure. Well, and that's what this paper is saying because before it was like, as long as you know that you're paying probably a lot of money, I don't know how expensive they are, probably a lot of money for not really anything, for essentially just a really fancy steam candle thing, then go nuts, I guess. But now it's saying like, well, hold on. You're having all these chemicals. I, I, I hate to use the word chemical broadly in its negative term, but you're, you're taking a whole bunch of these chemicals. You don't really know what's in there. You're throwing them into your lungs and just kind of hoping that nothing bad is going to happen. I, I would like to know what the percentage is. Like, like, again, we haven't really gotten into the paper itself, but like, we actually don't know causatively like how like you know one in a thousand people will, really, will react to these in a seizure manner or something no, like that. No, they're very good about that, actually, If in, in this article, addressing the fact that they're just like, we are not 100% sure how, how much this is causal and, like, causing un, like unrelated seizures or if it's more just triggering seizures in people who may have had seizures anyways. It's just, there is a link. We need to look into yeah. it more. Absolutely, yeah. 
this paper, so let's talk about the actual paper and the actual study. It was published in Epilepsy Research, so you know, it delivers what it promises. It's looking at 350 seizure cases in India. Doesn't matter that it's in India, I just think it's neat. Uh, spanned a four year period. And they determined that of the 350 seizures, 55 of those seizures, or 15%, may, important word, may, have been induced by the inhalation, ingestion, or topical use of essential oils. Basically, they just found that 55 of these people were using essential oils around the time they got seizures. We don't know that that's what's causing it, but there's a lot of them. And it stopped when they, when they stopped the... Yes. Yeah, and then they stopped using essential oils, and they no longer had seizures. So is that definitive proof? No, but it's pretty... It's pretty linked, especially because there were some specific there were some specific instances where somebody inhaled the oil, had seizure like within minutes. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a couple individual yeah. cases of like oil to seizure to not seizure. Yeah. Really quickly. Yeah. And it's interesting specifically like that they already knew that some um, essential oils had convulsant inducing properties specifically. Uh, they're considered convulsant essential oils. Um and that's eucalyptus and camphor, uh, both of which are very like popular for the medicinal uses. And I think it is important that this is in India because those are those are oils that are used by more people than the people who think that all essential oils are magical and will fix everything. It's just that's a treatment that is like regularly used. Popular in India for treating headaches, backaches, and the common cold. Yeah. Um, in, in bombs, toothpaste, that's weird, tablets, other items. I mean, eucalyptus oil is, like, very similar to mint in a lot of ways, so I understand why people would have it in, like, toothpaste and stuff. Like, it's, it's yeah. And actually, when I was doing a little bit of side research for this, um, it was amazing the number of papers looking at essential oils and mouthwash came up, huh. which I'd never heard of. The The... Essential oil market is projected to reach $27 billion oh. by 2022. Yeah. So you're talking about where we're getting the UBI money from. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing is most of that is in Western cultures. And it's a lot of people who say, like, it's great for things. And that's the thing is, like, I've always been of the opinion that using using essential oils because you like the smell, totally, totally reasonable. Go ahead. Some of them smell real great. But this particular study is saying maybe don't. <laughs> I mean, this isn't saying that, like, the second you whiff an essential oil, you're just immediately going to be on the floor. But there's a chance, and, like, is it worth it? And that's the thing is that I know that I know that this was something that I actually brought up because um, my sister-in-law, um, she was gifted, an, um, uh, like, a, a, diff- a diffuser, I guess. Um, yeah, I think that's what yeah, they Yeah, and it was, like, a combo humidifier essential oil diffuser. And she, like, we had to make sure, like, that there is a list of oils that you cannot use when you have kids under the age of four in the house. Like you're not supposed to use them because they can be toxic. Eucalyptus and camphor oil are on that list because they already knew that this was something that is linked to issues in children. And so something that was interesting about this particular paper is it's the first time that they've actually seen it in adults as well. Yeah, there are some, there are, they, they admit that there's some limitations that they need, well, not so much limitations, but it's like, you need larger blinded studies. Like this is just looking at people who have had seizures and looking at data that they already had. This isn't an experimental design. They haven't like done a double blind. They haven't made a control group or anything. It's just looking at people who have had seizures. 
So if you want to like really make this definitive, you need to have some more experimental designs, tested some more control mm-hmm. areas. And I think one of the other interesting things that they mention in this is the fact that it's not just the inhaled oils that can cause the problems. It's also the topically applied stuff, which is usually has been generally considered safe up until now. But this is the first time that they've seen stuff being like, actually, <laughs> could be not safe also in a bomb. Topically applied, I think just... I think it just means like locally applied, right? You're applying to like a specific area. It means it means being put over on the skin. Anything that's topically applied means you're putting it outside, like on your body, not on a mucous membrane, not inhaling it, not eating it. So like what I do with chips. Yeah. <laughs> like I quickly told you, like yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And I I thought one of the most interesting things of this is that doctors don't tend to ask about people's history with essential oils, and I. I don't blame the doctors. I'm like, I wouldn't have thought of mentioning it, right? Like, who would have thought of mentioning that? It's such a, like, it's a relatively obscure thing in society, even with the 20-whatever billion dollars it's making. Like, I would never have thought to ask that. It's actually becoming more of a pre- uh, prevalent thing to to have to ask for from a couple people that I know who are who work in the healthcare that uh, you have to be more careful about making sure you ask people exactly what supplements they're taking and exactly what things they're doing because... So many people are just using them and they don't consider them medicinal, so they don't list them. But, oh boy, can they have weird interactions with shit. Well, and my previous, admittedly limited, but my previous knowledge and like experiences with essential oils is that they were pretty benign. They just didn't do anything good, but they were like, they're not going to kill you. And now it's like, well, okay, maybe there's a lot more stuff in there that I didn't realize. Again, like this doesn't come up my life ever, but there's been instances like if that's something that like I have a friend who's a vet and she's had um, cats come in with essential oil toxicity because their owners have a diffuser and they put the few oils in that is very bad for cats, and then their cats come in and are like fucking dying. Oh, jeez! Essential oils, not as safe as you thought. <laughs> if you'd like to smell our essences, then you can check us out on Twitter at our science pod. If you'd like to read the articles that we talked about today, all the links will be in the description of this episode. So be sure to check that out. You can read them yourselves, see if we missed anything, and let us know if we did miss anything by messaging us on Twitter. Please harass Alan. Alan's the one who uses... Alan's the one who runs the Twitter. So if you want to bother him, just message us. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. And with that, for Katie and Toby, I'm your host, Alan Collier, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye now.